If you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter number 2. Um, Mark chapter 2, we're uh, walking through different stories, uh, encounters that Jesus Christ has, individual encounters that Christ has um, with people. And uh, meetings with the Master is what we're calling it. And uh, this morning we have another meeting. And uh, interestingly, I was reading this week, and uh, there was a pastor named Wilbur Chapman did some research, and, and according to him, According to uh, Dr. Chapman, uh, he said that of all of the encounters that Jesus Christ has with individuals that, are, uh, that you find in Scripture, he said there's a few, there's a few more than 40 uh, that you'll find, all, all of them but six, uh, all of them but six are uh, assisted encounters. In other words, in other words that, what that means is that typically... Uh, generally speaking, even in Scripture and what we find to be fleshed out today, people don't typically just come all alone. Somebody brings them to Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we see that in Scripture played out. We see that today. Uh, many people are just simply waiting for somebody that cares enough to say, I want to reach out and give an invitation to somebody. Hey, this morning we are talking about a faithful friend, and I pray to God that I would be a faithful friend. I was thinking about our church family, I'm grateful. Uh, this week I was thinking a lot about our church because of this text this week uh, has a very unusual uh, uh, encounter as to what happens in the story. And... Um, very vulnerable moment. I was thinking about our church family. I was thankful to God for allowing me the privilege to be able to be here uh, for the last 21 years. It's been an incredible blessing, uh, but the unity within the body. Because when you're talking about church and when you're talking about churches as they go, uh, anytime you have change, anytime you have transitions, uh, you enter into what's a very vulnerable moment. In fact, most every single time there is change in a church, uh, uh, I simply call it casualties of change. What do you mean casualties of change? It means that people are looking for that opportunity to say, I'm out of here. And, uh, and we found ourselves, we have found ourselves in very vulnerable moments. In fact, I feel like we've never left the vulnerable moment uh, in our church with all of the changes that we've been through. Uh, we've, had, we've had personnel changes. We have had scheduling changes. We built buildings. And through it all, God has blessed and protected us with incredible unity that I pray we never take for granted. And so I'm very thankful to God for uh, uh, our church. Uh, that being said, I know that oftentimes what happens, and by the way, this morning you say, man, are you setting us up for some major change? No, I'm just simply saying, I'm just simply saying that uh, uh, the church that's growing will always be changing. All right. There's a lot of folks saying, are we ever going to stop transitioning? Are we ever going to stop changing? Uh, uh, I pray to God, no, never. Uh, in fact, if you are growing, you will always be transitioning and always be changing. And it's one thing if you're living out in a country where there are nobody, but it's another thing when you're living in one of the fastest growing sides of Tallahassee. I pray to God that we would recognize that there are great needs all around us and that we would be a church that says, hey, we are willing to do whatever it takes. I pray to God that be the motto of Morningside. We do whatever it takes. I pray for just a restless spirit within us 
that we would recognize that people are perishing, and I'm not content with just doing church as usual, uh, but that I want to be a part of the mission. I want to be a part of the search and rescue and that's what the church is all about. It's not a resort. Uh, it's not all about me and being pampered when I come to gather. Uh, but it's about me coming and saying, hey, I want to be on this team. I want to be a part of a search and rescue mission team. And that's what I pray to God that we would be, uh, that we would do whatever it takes. So what's it going to take, uh, uh, again, to rescue the perishing? Because people are, in fact, perishing all around us. What's it going to take? I would simplify it by just simply saying, i tell you what it's going to take. It's going to take me being a faithful friend. It's simple. It's going to take you being a faithful friend. And so this morning, what does it look like? Well, that's what this text will do for us. Mark 2, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says this. Uh, when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, uh, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit uh, that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that, but so that, Verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. <clears throat> this morning uh, in this text, it's a simple little story. Uh, uh, but, it, but it presents, I think, four types of people that you will find in every church. Four types of people that you will find in every church. And the question is, which one are you? Uh, so as we look through this text, there's four different types of people that I'm going to pull out from the text and just say, hey, who am I and where am I? Am I a faithful friend or am I not a faithful friend? It begins basically uh, with what I would call a selfish saint. A selfish saint, if we're not careful, sometimes we find ourselves... Uh, as, as a people that apparently look to be uh, very selfish, consumed with themselves. The Bible says, verse number 1 and in verse number 2, uh, that there were these four friends that came to this house where Jesus was. Jesus has been doing ministry. He came back to Capernaum. And there was always a crowd following Jesus Christ. They would hear uh, where he's going to be, and the crowds would come. And, uh, and so there was always a crowd. Jesus was always about preaching and healing. And uh, the Bible, in fact, describes this crowd, Mark chapter number 1, if you back up just a minute, uh, verse number 33, the whole city had gathered at the door. I mean, there was a lot of people hanging out, wanting to see what was going on. In fact, it's interesting because today what we oftentimes will do and what we're guilty of doing is uh, we measure the success of a church oftentimes by the size of the crowd, and you got to be careful. It's not just the size of the crowd that you measure a church by. In fact, if it, it all 
I've heard it said, and this is true. All you got to do is have food or a fight, and you're going to get a crowd at the church. It doesn't make them successful. It doesn't make you successful just because of the crowd. In fact, Jesus Christ, when you're talking about the crowds who are gathering around him, the Bible says this is what he did. Verse 38 of chapter number 1. He said to them, hey, let's go somewhere else uh, to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. I'm not impressed by the crowds. I don't have to have the crowds. I'm simply here to be faithful to the calling. The crowds were there, and, uh, and, and, and many of the crowds were there uh, uh, simply for the miracles and not for uh, the message. I, I want to see a sign and not necessarily to hear a sermon. I want to be entertained, and that's what the crowds oftentimes would come for. There's nothing wrong with having a crowd, but when the motive of the heart is wrong, that's when there is, in fact, a problem. Uh, what, what happened here is all of a sudden you have four friends who are carrying what we, most of us, would say is a quadriplegic, someone who is totally unable to take care of themselves. Therefore, visibly, visibly, the crowd can't say, I didn't know. Oh, they did know. You can see that there is a problem with this person. Now, the problem, though, that we are really not addressing in this particular text is this. Many of them had a theology that said, well, you know, sickness is a sign of sin. So they would look at someone like this quadriplegic and say, hey, you know, you're really not even welcome in this place. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can look at other people that don't act like us, talk like us, think like us, and say, you're really not welcome in this place. And so we've got to be careful that we're not selfish. They were unwilling to accommodate. God, help us always be mindful of others, and not just what we see, but even what we don't see. You know, you know, when you're in a crowd this size, I, I, I would venture to say that there are many people in this house that are struggling today. Many people came to this place that it cost them a lot just to even be here. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. And God help us just simply to be mindful of others, whether they're going through something or not. The Bible says, Philippians chapter 2, verses number 3 and 4. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 and 4, the Bible says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. God help me <clears throat> to be mindful of others. You have a crowd that's gathering around, but then you have the quadriplegic. And by the way, as I mentioned just a moment ago, although <clears throat> uh, he did get saved and he is a sinner, uh, his sickness wasn't a result of sin. Now, in a bigger picture, in a bigger sense of the word, obviously, all sickness, uh, uh, all sickness, all death is ultimately the result of sin. But it's not about God punishing for the sin. It's under the curse that happened from Genesis chapter number 3. But we have a man that represents for us in this story uh, a common sinner, uh, this quadriplegic. Uh, again, when you're looking at his life, uh, he was one that physically was helpless. I cannot help myself. I'm hopeless. In fact, I can try all I want to, and I just can't get 
fixed, and he desperately needed someone to take care of his need. And that's exactly uh, the picture, spiritually speaking, of what a lost person is. A lost person cannot, you cannot save yourself. You're no different than this quadriplegic. If you've never been born again and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about being a religious person. In fact, I would even suggest that many people oftentimes turn to religion for salvation and not to Jesus Christ. And this morning, you desperately need Jesus Christ because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us uh, uh, have sinned and fallen short of His glory, and there's nothing that I can do to fix myself. In fact, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus Christ came into this world and laid down His life so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But you must be, you must be born again, and you cannot do that for yourself. We're surrounded, again, by perishing people no different than this one today. And I just want to ask the question, and the question is, where is the church today? Do we care about the perishing? Oh, we're surrounded by people who are perishing. But what are we willing to do about them? What are we willing to do with that fact? God, help us recognize that we have Uh, a a task to do. You know, when you're talking about the church, it's interesting. It's not just about me coming and gathering and and, and taking care of my needs. And oftentimes what happens with the church and where the church finds herself is taking care of myself. I I just want to take care of me, myself, and I, my family. And And I forget that, you know what, there are people that are perishing. Do you know that every single time we have opportunity to gather together, it ought to be an opportunity for you to recognize that this is an opportunity and a privilege to be able to rescue perishing people. In fact, this afternoon, you know, you know, this afternoon we're going to be doing this thing out here on the fields, uh, uh, the back-to-school splash. And, and, and can I just be honest with you? It's not just so that our kids can come down and get wet, because if that's all we're doing, then turn your sprinkler on and have a good time in your backyard. I mean, seriously, that's not the point. Go cook your own hot dog. (laughs) But you know what's going to happen this afternoon? There will be people that are perishing that are going to come to these fields. And if we're not careful, I can take care of me, myself, and I, my comfortable group of friends that are already headed to heaven and say, I don't give a rip who's going to hell out here on these fields. Or I can say, hey, God... I am excited, looking forward to this afternoon, to the opportunities that you're going to bring my way. God, fill me with your spirit. Help me know how to be your hands and feet. Open the door of opportunity. Give me courage and wisdom to know what to say and how to say it. How best to represent you to people. That's what it's about. Every opportunity we have to gather together is an opportunity to, again, rescue perishing. Y'all all all right? Y'all looking forward to this afternoon? (laughs) Okay. We go from this quadriplegic to these four faithful friends, and and this is really where I want to land for the most part of this sermon today. The four faithful friends. I just want to be a faithful friend, a selfless saint, a faithful friend. That's what they represent here in this picture. The Bible says, verse number 3, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, being unable to get to him, Jesus, because of the crowd. Uh, They removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. 
It's an interesting story, you know. Uh, I think about this story and see the humor in it. Could you imagine being there gathering with the crowd and all of a sudden flakes start falling from the ceiling? <laughs> then a hole opens up and they drop their friend down to the feet of Jesus. Why? Because that's exactly who he needed to see. A couple of things about these friends. Number one, <clears throat> they were people with a compassionate heart. They had a heart full of compassion for others, not just consumed with myself. God, give us a heart of compassion for other people. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 35, this is the heart of our Savior. God, develop in me your heart. Matthew 9, 35 and following, Jesus was going through all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of sickness and every, uh, every kind of disease and sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Do I have a heart? And that's a great question for us to ask ourselves. Do I have a heart of compassion for people, especially for lost people? Because, you know, oftentimes what happens when you engage a lost person, uh, they're not going to think like you. They're not going to agree with you. They're lost. They're blind. They're dead. And they desperately need someone who would say, hey, I've got a heart of compassion. Do you have a heart of compassion for lost people? Hey, I'll tell you one way to evaluate that. You know what's a good way to evaluate that? When you get together in a group like this, <clears throat> in a service like this, uh, what will happen in a few moments is we will wrap this service up. And at the end of the service, every single time we come together, uh, we give a little invitation. We pray and sing a song and invite people to come. When we enter into that time, do you start praying for people to respond or do you start planning lunch? If you're busy giving invitations, it'll change your approach to the invitation. Do I have a heart of compassion? Do I care? <clears throat> how, do you, how do you say you care? Well, let it, let it begin with, hey, my name's Brian. What's your name? <laughs> it's not rocket science. Just saying, I care about you. I care enough to come and engage you in conversation. See, some people say, man, it's awkward. I don't know what to say. Hi. <laughs> this afternoon, I've never seen you before. Hi, I'm glad you're here. And they may look at you and say, well, I go to the second service. Ah. <laughs> well, God bless you. Stay there. And <laughs> no, <I'm> just, <laughs> we're going to cover that in a minute, too. Heart of compassion. But I'll tell you something else they did. Is, it was all about cooperation. It was all about coming together and hand in hand, arm in arm, and saying, hey, we need to do whatever it takes to bring our friend to Jesus Christ. When you look at the heart of cooperation, it wasn't about, hey, hey, you know, you know what? It wasn't about, hey, 
hey, whose idea was this? <laughs> Let me see if I want to get on board. It wasn't about uh, who's going to be at the head and who's going to be at the feet and how's it going to happen. Let's get together and discuss that. No, it was just, hey, everybody hop on this thing and let's work together. And you know what happens a lot of times in churches is there's just not a lot of cooperation. You know, in fact, in, fact, in the churches with two services, well, that's my service. I, Nine o'clock is my service. Ten o'clock thirty is their service. How about it's our service? You know, you know what happens oftentimes? People come and join the church and praise God for people coming and join the church. But how long does it take before I stop hearing, oh, well, this church, well, this church, well, this church, it's our church if you're part of this family. Y'all all right? It's our children. It's our teenagers. It's our college. It's our adults. It's our senior adults. It's our mission field. God help us to embrace and work together rather than saying, well, this is mine and that's not mine and becoming very divided and territorial over ministry. Y'all ever seen that? It'll destroy a church. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. <clears throat> I would be a fool to think that that doesn't happen in the heart of hearts, but God, check our hearts on that. I want to recognize we're on the same team, simply trying to honor God and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, there's nothing worse than a fighting church. To embarrass and humiliate the name of Jesus Christ and to give lost people reasons to stay away. Why do I want a part of that? tell you what else they were they were very creative they were willing to go outside the box they were willing to go outside the box hey whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel i mean whatever it takes i'm i'm game i'm down whatever it takes let's get with it the message the message never changes but the method's got to always be changing you got to look at your world in which you live and say hey I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The method. Whatever it takes. I pray to God that we would embrace that again as a motto for the church. Whatever it takes. You've heard it said. Seven last words of a dying church. We've never done it that way before. And let me follow that up by this. And we ain't starting now. <laughs> That'll kill a church. I'm thankful again for a church that has embraced a lot of different methods over the years. <clears throat> they were a committed people. What do you mean by committed people? There were obstacles. There were obstacles. You know, there's always going to be obstacles. They just become opportunities for us. In fact, there are some people that are really gifted at finding the obstacles. Well, we can't do it because of this. We can't do it because of that. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? Be careful that you don't let simple obstacles keep you from doing whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How easy it would have been, seriously, in the story, how easy it would have been for these four friends to say, well, let's just think today. It's just, we got to look for a better day. We got to look for an easier opportunity than this. But they didn't do it. They said, hey, you know what? We're going to do whatever it takes. In fact, let's dig a hole. I wonder who even said that. 
And I wonder what the other three were thinking when they heard it. <laughs> I know somebody said, well, who's going to pay for it? <laughs> Y'all all right this morning? I am so thankful. So Proverbs, hey, Proverbs 14, I, I, I'm reminded of this verse so often in the life of a church. <clears throat> Proverbs 14 and verse number 4, the Bible says, uh, Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but re much revenue comes <clears throat> by the strength of an ox. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? If you're really going to engage people, it's going to get messy. You can stay clean. You can say, oh man, I don't want kids bouncing around. I'm so grateful. Again, I am so grateful to God for a church family that says, hey, we'll do whatever it takes. We even built this facility, and y'all are sitting in here, and I know that some of you are like, oh, this is my first time here. Man, we got an Iwana circle. This thing gets flipped around during the week and used, and balls get flying, and windows are, well, they're covered now. They don't get broken anymore, but anyways, uh, I, mean, I mean, there's stuff happens. Uh, why? Because we're trying to engage people, and people are messy. And, and, and you can take the easy road, and, and it doesn't stink, and nothing gets messed up. But I tell you what it does, it leads a church to die. And so I'm grateful, <clears throat> again, to have people saying, I'm committed to the cause, I know it's going to be costly, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes. It's going to take uh, time, it's going to take money, uh, and in fact, people look at you and say, man, aren't you crazy? Aren't you one of those people that go out there to that church? Uh, yes, in fact, I am. And we're busy about a rescue mission because people are perishing, and I'm not here to build a name for myself. I'm not here to guard myself. You can think what you want about me. Don't you know that people in the crowd were looking at the four faithful friends and saying, these people are flat crazy. What are they doing? rescuing the perishing, whatever it takes. That's what they're doing. <clears throat> and in the crowd, I'll tell you another group of people that were in the crowd that day were the scribes and Pharisees. <clears throat> the Bible says, verse number 6 and 7 in this story, some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, obviously, <clears throat> he's blaspheming his faults because he is God. The problem was they denied the deity of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, this group of people were the religious leaders. Who, who, who do they represent today? Oh, I'll tell you who they represent today as they represent uh, uh, the people that exercise the spiritual gift of criticism. Uh, oftentimes the reason for that is simply because we want to be in control. Control. If you're familiar with church, you will know that oftentimes people and churches uh, have major issues, and, and, and it all boils down to who's in control, who makes decision, and, uh, and, and it's a control factor that happens and, and and can i tell you something in every church listen in every church no matter where the church is and how much god has blessed and protected the unity within the body you will always find snakes and jezebels always what you mean snakes 
and Jezebels. You'll find them. I'm grateful for unity in the body. <clears throat> you know, when, when these guys were criticizing, it's interesting because oftentimes what happens is through fear and intimidation, churches will not do because of criticism. And can I tell you something? And this is the honest-to-goodness truth this morning. You say, was the rest of it not true? No, it's all been true. I'm just simply saying. If you're waiting till nobody criticizes you to do something, you'll never do. Do you know that? <laughs> if you're going to make a decision to do, there will be people that look at you and will criticize. And that's okay. Just keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. And God help us be faithful to him. The Savior dealt with a situation. Immediately Jesus was wearing a spirit. They were reasoning that way within themselves. So he said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven? Or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and to walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And that's exactly what he did. You know, when you're talking about the miracles of Jesus Christ in Scripture, they weren't just miracles unto themselves. They were miracles with purpose. And the purpose with most of the miracles that we see happening is authenticating the message that he's been preaching. In other words, he's saying, hey, words, words, how do I, how, how are you going to know that what I'm saying is true? And yet, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to authenticate the message with the miracle right here in this very moment, just to show you that I, in fact, am God. Therefore, I do have the authority to forgive sins. I also can speak to the sick, and they'll get up in an instant. And that's who I am. You know, in fact, when you're looking at these stories, here's what's interesting. You ever met somebody say, man, if I just had a sign, I'd believe. You ever, you ever heard that? Maybe you're even here today. Say, man, if I just had a sign, do, do you realize that it's not just signs in and of themselves that cause people to believe? <clears throat> There's a lot of folks that no matter what the signs are, refuse to believe. In fact, even here, I'm not sure how many would believe. But the good news today is simply this. Jesus Christ is God Almighty. He's the one that spoke this entire world into existence. And he knows everything about you. And no matter who you are and no matter what you're facing, he is able. If you are lost today and you've never been born again to be saved, not religious, not, a, not, not, not I'm just a church goer, but I'm talking about a person that's been born from above. If you've never been born again, he will do that for you. He's able to save. He'll meet your every need. And today I just want to encourage you, if you have need, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus because he's able.